And we're live, The Twin Geeks, live from Washington State, as uh, as we're known to be from um, uh, Pacific Northwest Podcast. Uh, yeah. That's I, where I, we're based. I had, a, I had something come up uh, recently. Someone asked me a Pacific Northwest question. I don't remember specifically what, what it was, but I remember having to, like, differentiate and state that the Pacific Northwest is kind of, like, west of the Rockies. Wouldn't you agree? Because, like, it, it yeah. kind of pertained more to... Walla Walla, Washington. I'm like, oh, that, we don't we don't associate with those guys over there. That's not the Pacific Northwest. They don't, they don't even know what the ocean is. Yeah, that's Northwest, but I don't find that to be Pacific at all. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. just just had to throw that out there. Got to differentiate that the Pacific Northwest <laughs> is even more elitist than you already thought it was. It's, it's a very specific part of. But interestingly, we take in the liberal cities of. Uh, of Boise, um, we, we accept them somehow, <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, parts of Montana. <laughs> so, and, um, and Canada, like, like we, we bring in Canada, it's like a, yeah. a, a cross-nation alliance there that we kind of include. It's um, uh, limber, uh, or a very flexible math, we should say. Uh, the more liberal they are, the more included they are in our uh, Cascadia break-off that more, we're planning. Yeah, it's more of a political alignment than a geographical one, but the, <laughs> the geographical parts of it, it's got to be... You gotta be Pacific in your heart, you know. Like you gotta have mm-hmm. that longing for the for the coast and the ocean. That's that's a requisite as well as not being a uh, conservative asshole. You have to be a coastal elite as well, uh, which is us because we have a podcast. Like uh, like B J Novak's new film, A Vengeance, tells you 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 have to be a coastal elite to have a podcast. People in podcast Texas just don't it? understand. Uh, his uh, true. No, crime. this one. This, no, this one. This one. I I don't even remember now. Are we a Pacific Northwest podcast or? Yeah, uh, we're a podcast. A, a podcast yeah. in the Pacific Northwest. In the Pacific Northwest okay. about directors' filmographies that uh, inspire us and and bring us together uh, right. in our friendship and and our sight work. Um, uh, I, I believe I'm, that's it. Yeah, uh, that's, that sounds right. I'm remembering it now. I'm David, and you're Calvin, right? That's true. Right. Yeah. And, and so we host a podcast, that, and I think it's about. Someone named Robert Altman right now? That's, yeah. that's the topic? Okay. It's called The Blank Check Podcast. <laughs> About uh, Bob Altman, as, uh, as we say on The Blank Bob. Check. Yeah. Bob, as his friends knew him, Bobby, on occasion. Bobbert. And he uh, amassed a certain amount of success, and then he could make any passion project he want. Blank Check, baby. I think that's their intro. Um, is it, is, I don't know. That's kind of true, but also kind of not yeah. true for this next slate of films that we have lined up for this episode yeah what what a selection we have here uh because uh what i like about our podcast preference now is that we end up podcasting the things that we would have never gotten to and that other people don't get to uh people haven't made podcasts about three of these films i don't think they, i i imagine some have it's like it's not like the case with some say like uh when we covered Cocteau and we did those films that literally I've never heard anyone talk about, or sure. we literally dug deep and rented movies for Bogdanovich. This is still like, uh, you know, Altman is definitely one of the more mainstream directors we've chosen, uh, chosen to cover so far. And like, these are accessible enough. There's one film in this bunch that might be kind of harder to locate, but also yeah. wasn't, wasn't really. Um, but yeah, there's certainly a reason why these are not as covered films The the eighties period is, is kind of known as this uh, lull in Altman's career. You got the big high of the 70s, those big flashy 
classics, the masterpieces we talked about, back-to-back, -back, this incredible run. And then everyone uh, kind of goes quiet for a bit. And then, bam, in 92, he comes back with the player, and he's on top of the world again, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think we'll find a lot that, like, distribution early on was very halted on a lot of these things. So uh, any enjoyment or appreciation of them is very modern, I think. Uh, oh, it's, it's also kind of interesting just from a historical standpoint, what's going on in Nolman's career and his relationship with the studios. That's kind of the underlying reasoning why some of these films are the way they are that we haven't really got into yet is that he, towards the end of the 70s, he kind of lost the faith of the studios and uh, they kind of got sick of his uh, maverick shtick <laughs> and uh, kind of doing his own thing. He had his own production studio at this time, which is how he was able to bankroll a lot of these and then just had to get distribution. Confusingly called uh, Lionsgate studio uh, <laughs> that is confusing not, it's it's not that lion's gate it's 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 two separate words lion's gate uh yeah i had to look into it a couple times because i was like you, you found a lion's gate you own lion's gate but no yeah. it, it was an independent one that he uh he, he ended up uh, selling during this time period as well but that was that was bankrolling a lot of these films up until this point makes sense because some of these can't be bankrolled by uh, studio producers you and, and it kind of ties into our last episode as well, the, that kind of uh, run of really middling films towards the end of the 70s, stuff like Quintet, just like these really bizarre films with seemingly no, you know, kind of like commercial appeal and just like it's really hard to make any sense of uh, and like a wedding and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, these very specific arts, art, artistically directed uh, you know, uniquely Altman films that just didn't have any like like viability or commercial prospects, uh, <laughs> and and they and they kind of ultimately soured his name within the industry. We we, yeah. we talked about it a little bit last time where it's like you couldn't get away with that anymore. You know, he was allowed to fail like a number of times before he was kicked to the curb, but he was kicked to the curb eventually. Yeah, you're not allowed to fail once. Now, I mean, you could you could fail and make uh, smaller movies, but you're never coming back. Um, I mean, you're not even allowed to attempt to succeed nowadays. They're just gonna, <laughs> no. you know, delete your film from you know the, the, the Warner Bros. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of preservation, movies just going missing now. So like our our golden age of preservation might be uh, in question in certain ways. Uh, uh, our access to a whole history of cinema might be in question. Uh, yep. More more than it's been the last TV 10 years. TV shows, too. They're just deleting lots of stuff they've made from creators. Man, that's... Yeah. Tr truly living in the in the most accessible of times, <laughs> am I right? Yeah. Uh, where where there's no legal way, again, uh, much like those 80s, to, to kind of procure a lot of this stuff. Uh, uh, and it's interesting because, like, where we left off with Quintet, uh, was shot in uh, 1986, and then our next film... 1986? It was yeah. Shot in 86. Yeah. The movie that came out in 1979 was shot in 1986. 1987, right? It came out then. 80s? No, Quintet? Yeah. 79. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah, we're just now getting into the 80s okay. here. Like, like. I have my dates wrong. Yeah, yeah, yes, for sure. <laughs> Maybe it was shot in... When did it come out? It came out in 78? In 79. It came out in 79. 79. Okay, in shot in 78. 79, yes. Shot, uh, yeah, it came out You're right. 79. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so Famously, shot in 78, awesome. but uh, here's the point, is that our, our next film was likely shot before it, um, and then released two months afterward. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of uh, odd how the, the 
rollout kind of came here. These films probably, a perfect couple probably should have been paired with uh, Quintet in terms of how they kind of came off. Like, we, we really should be opening the 80s oeuvre with Popeye, but because of how the numbers kind of worked out, we're, we're starting back in 79 with a perfect couple. So this is a little bit of a connective thread with last week's, uh, but it's going to lead into, it's kind of like, I think it's uh, demonstrative of what Altman was kind of doing that led him into his next era in the 80s. So, yeah, uh, the actual 80s they existed in, not the uh, the future the, quintet 80s, which I was yeah. just making a, a very yeah, slight yeah. commentary about that film. Maybe you were thinking it was set in 1987, an <laughs> alternate 1987. That would make sense. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so it's odd how things came out and how many of his projects were halted and held by the studios. Uh, yeah, that happens more than you think, not just today, but... Is certainly still a problem, but yeah, uh, a perfect couple is not a little perfect. yeah, definitely not perfect. Uh, it's it's a little weird. Uh, we just watched this film. I don't know, maybe like twenty minutes ago, we finished it up together. Yeah, so we're just, really fresh. Despite chronologically being the first of the slate of films that we're tackling, uh, I, it, we independently both put it off to the last, and I think it's just because on the surface there's like the least appealing elements, you know, that, that seemed to come from this one. Like, I don't know, there was nothing about it that I was like, oh, I should check out this film. It's literally just, it's an <laughs> yeah. Altman film, and I've I've tasked myself with watching all of these Altman films, so I have to see it. <laughs> that's that's the only reason I'm, I, I was attracted to it. That became uh, very clear to me at least twice in watching these, that I would not watch these even if I were interested in Altman and trying to clear a bunch of Altman, uh, yeah. unless I had this project. There was at least a morbid curiosity with Quintet, where I'm like, it's a it's, it's a sci-fi film with Paul Newman set in like the near apocalyptic future. That's really weird. I wonder what it came out like. And it turned out to be really terrible, but like, I was at least interested enough to seek it out. Like I, I think even outside of this project, I would have eventually watched it out of a morbid curiosity, despite you know how bad it appears to be and there's like um, that gamification of the cin cinema that's already happening there which is very popular right now with like bodies 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 and ready or not and game night and ready player one like that that huge like impetus of like movies must be games too um so i thought that could be a fun angle but but for me it was just the expo stuff the montreal expo which i was very attracted to yeah I, yeah I there was it. there was nothing in, in that movie that was worthwhile ultimately uh, but nothing but that yeah my, my point is is that I was sold on it on like a, as like a concept of curiosity and as far as a perfect couple I uh, there was nothing about it that it seemed immediately interesting there was not a an attached like star or personality that like really you know could draw me in or seemed to have any interesting chemistry with with Altman you know on the surface there uh not that that's a you know single selling point that you should focus on for a film but really it's just it was just the Altman name because the the the, the, the log line or whatever you know the poster whatever it is uh is not selling me on it and yeah I don't think the film is selling me on it too well either I think that was like at least Altman's original idea was to cast lesser known people so people aren't going showing up for the stars but that's, but then you that's just end up. His idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but then you end up with a very flat movie. Like this one really does. I mean, you don't have like an Elliot Gould here or someone that's really carrying. Uh, I, I mean, Paul Dooley's okay. I do. I, I like Paul Dooley. I said to you when we were watching. I was like, he's like one of the character actors from like a Preston Sturges movie who finally gets his time <laughs> in the spotlight. 
he's yeah. really like he, he grabs your attention he stands out and you see him in a bunch of other Altman films and he's yeah. usually like like you can usually pick him out and he makes an impression and so here he is in you know front and center and that's cool uh, and I think he does a good job and he, he makes for a compelling character but he's doing it from like his own innate skills not anything inherent to the script or the character it's like yeah. he, he's just making it again this is this is a really good example of how the kind of loose, uh, you know, make it up on the spot, throw the script out the window style of Altman's approach just sometimes doesn't work and probably shouldn't be your modus operandi. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, when it hits, it really hits. Like, when you're, like, in the vibe of an Altman movie that's fucking working, it's, like, the most powerful thing anyone could make. So I think it's mm -hmm. worth, like, these big risks where it's like, that doesn't work, there's no script, there's nothing there. Like, it's just meandering through... Uh, interludes of songs but without the poignancy of nashville um yeah there's not there's no nothing that's coherent it there's no gravitational center that everything is kind of working around uh and and that's usually what happens i think we talked about this as well with something like a wedding where it's like you got the components of an altman film here and you even have moments where it kind of starts like like flashes of that altman genius but there's nothing it's all it's all just kind of weaving in and out and not really finding a rhythm uh, and, and a goal around which to center everything here. Uh, and even more than that, like, it's a perfect couple. Do doesn't seem to have, like, a typical critique that you kind of expect from an Altman film. Like, it's not like a <laughs> yeah, it or, or a consideration of, like, I don't know, like, you would think, like, relationships or something. Like, it's it, it just feels very generic, um, you know, I guess in the sense that it shows, like, kind of like a dysfunctional growth of relationships. It starts out, like, this really almost kind of kind of like creeper thing with uh robert dooley where he's really pushing boundaries of uh martha happen there but and eventually it kind of blossoms into something you you believe and you can get behind but like the the journey there doesn't really pull you in and their dynamic isn't like especially compelling as as a couple they're they're making it work but it's like at, at you know not at the behest of anything in particular it's just kind of occasionally it functions um yeah, and then there, and then there's just like the occasional oddity that really throws you for a loop, and kind of like you're like, oh, that's interesting. What's what's happening here? Like, there's there's that one moment where it's just like a sudden flash of intense violence, just like kind of burst out. You're like, where did this come from? Just yeah, just what's out of, that? Out of nowhere, and then it kind of deflates. It doesn't actually lead lead to something, unfortunately. But it got me for a second. Like I was on board for a second there when it happened. <laughs> It really threatened to be interesting at that point, and I think the most Altman-esque thing it could be is a, um, a revisionism of what a good movie could be. Uh, this is a, <laughs> a bad movie that has it's, some Altman stuff on the surface and nothing in like the depth of the filmmaking. I liked the music. I thought it was good music throughout, and it, it, was, it kind of worked like an almost kind of Greek chorus kind of thing where it was like supposed to be some kind of connective tissue to emphasize scenes and stuff and it didn't really do that but it was trying to and it was good music it's like it's... a mix of rock and R&B style it's a uh, and I like the songs but like I don't, I don't think they added to it necessarily they were just it was a it was a nice element in the film yeah I mean I'd, I'd say that it, it works efficiently at first and then uh Maybe there's like four or five scenes too many of the music that's not quite compelling because you didn't have something before or after it that you're really hooking on to. So uh, I, for I'd, me... I'd be more down on the music, I guess, and its lack of purpose if 
there were things I found appealing that it was cutting away from or digging into. <laughs> but that's the thing is that it's it's not the most like, interesting thing. Yeah, it's it's not really interrupting the the pace of the film for me because I'm like I'm mostly here for the music now because like these scenes are just kind of like you know it, I don't know there's nothing going on in them there's there's like a, a I don't want to say ethereal quality but definitely this kind of like in in the air in indistinguishable unfocused sense of things which again is very Altman-esque but uh, without that kind of guiding purpose and you know stringing uh, idea connecting everything together connecting the the divergent paths and stuff to a to a single branch yeah um the uh name keeping them off the streets is a good name for a band uh as well yeah and mixing yeah. actors and like these uh session musicians in a band is kind of fun um, yeah i i like that again i i like the band they're also like characters in the film but also like they're not especially important do they do anything like significant um no i don't i don't think so I don't think so either. Yeah, Not that was, I tracked. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it was it was very hard to remain kind of engaged. It would it would pull me back in every so often. And I liked character. Or I, I liked performers and I liked elements, but uh, it, it really just felt like uh, a number of interesting ideas and generally competent, you know, filmmaking without a drive or purpose in in the way that. Altman sometimes, unfortunately, is. And wouldn't you say it's interesting to watch a, a bad movie from a really good filmmaker because you have that frustration like it could have been something, but like if it's an out-and-out out bad movie with like no tendencies and no uh, vision and not an ability to direct where you see the capacity that you've known before, uh, isn't that almost more frustrating when you can it tell can, like what could be there? It can be, but this isn't a case where... like. Where, where there was definitely like I see you have an idea and you're just not realizing to its fullest potential this is definitely like a you know uh, it's it's Altman doing Altman things and sometimes that's appealing uh, but not it's not in service of anything greater but I still find something like this better than something that just has like no purpose or, or drive or interest you know like again occasionally I was jolted to, to life watching it and so that had some inherent appeal uh, I, I was I was bored, but I was not bored from start to finish. It was for me envisioning the uh, Lucille Ball doing the uh, cello with the the plunger on the ground the whole time was a uh, my visual image. There's a lot of uh, cello stuff, but as you say, it blends into rock music. The music is, I think, um, but for us, we're completionists. Also, that's our our goal in the podcast. So there is a, yeah. a joy in in filling in, uh, shading in this part of Altman's career at the very least. Yeah, and again, it, it paints a wider picture, like they're said, of what's going on at the time. So doing, like, a wedding quintet and this back-to-back, -back, and they're all kind of a mix of, you're trying something, Altman, but it's not really landing, and nobody really gets it, and you're losing money every single time. <laughs> mm. uh, then then that becomes a, a, you know, career problem for him, and uh, suddenly you're, you're, you're being faced with prospects of having to sell your studio or, you know, make a big you know, a uh, financially fruitful project, you know, with commercial appeal, that'll hopefully resurrect your career and put you back on top. Yeah, it's one of those movies that I, I wouldn't make because I wouldn't understand why it's made. Um, I, I guess someone like Altman could do that, but um, for someone like me that's never going to get another chance to make a movie, if someone said, okay, go make a movie, I'd, I'd find it insulting that someone with that much talent made this. 
I don't know. I, 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 I see some appeals and some attempts and some things I like. Uh, but yeah. yeah, generally it's it's just kind of whatever. Yeah, he earns his <laughs> he earns his right to do nothing, so it's okay. Um, and it's it's not the worst nothing that we're going to encounter today either. Um, possibly not the worst nothing. Maybe we, we've definitely encountered worse so far. I don't know. It, there, there's a lot of like mediocrity in this bunch. Uh, yeah, including including the next film, which is <laughs> health. Health. Yeah, health. How do you, how do you pronounce how do you pronounce it? There's it's capitalized at the end. I, I see this everywhere, um, and I don't know why because like it's uh, it's mostly just like on like a banner, right? You know. Uh, that's in the film, and sometimes they use that on some of the poster art for it, where everything is, you know, it's it's just the the two H's that are capitalized. But like sometimes it's listed as like the official spelling of the film, like on uh, IMDb, it has the H capitalized, but not on Letterboxd. It's it's just <laughs> regular health. Right. So, so it's I mean it's often also written like mash uh, with the dots yeah, in between. Man, what is with Altman and bizarre titles? Because you got those two, and then you got really, really long ones like Buffalo Bill and the Indians or History Bull Sitting Lesson, and then you also got Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, that we're going to talk about <laughs> a bit. Like, very convoluted yeah. titles for, for your films here. There's also, It also stands for happiness, energy, and longevity through health. So maybe because yep. health is also the final word, it's capitalized that, to emphasize guess, that yeah. it is that word. That makes sense. Humorous acronym, by the way. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> it's good. Uh, yeah. I, I think there are a number of interesting things. Like, like th this starts off like another, again, promising Altman film. It's like out the gate. We got a good idea here. Look, Altman is really obsessed with politics at this time. So we're going to make a microcosm of, like, uh, you know, American political scape in, like, a health convention. And they're having this, you know, election for who's going to be president of this health board. And, and you've got... Lord Bacall is like a really aged candidate, you know, and then you've got uh, Glenda Jackson on the other side, and they're kind of duking it out, and you got all these secrets and stuff that are coming to fruition, and Dick Cavett's there interviewing them yeah, in the beginning, and it's like, yeah, it starts off as a, as a promising prospect, but then it just, again, it just it meanders, and, and it misses its central thesis, and it's, you know... <laughs> occasionally funny but not not with any particular consistency its critique is you know not biting as in like other cases it's it's you know kind of mixed messaging unfocused it's got some uh a little bit of ugly messaging to it at certain points it uh, does yeah and, and that kind of drags things down and uh, ultimately kind of very forgettable <laughs> and it's ultimately just this battle between like uh people promoting actual health and uh uh just the most obvious counter to it which is just like actual capitalism in place of uh health services so like a message that that rings through today but when you have a plotless movie it's hard to really bite in your satire because it's structureless so uh funny things do happen and good things do happen on screen but uh cohesively i don't know what they could mean without a direction uh for the plot or or a plot yeah, there's just, again, like, you've got the critique there, you've got the concept and idea, but you're kind of just floating through it all, and you're not getting to particular condemnations, you know, really strong uh, points of emphasis, um, and, and it eventually kind of circles back around, it bookends in a similar way, uh, but it, ultimately you walk away, you don't 
you, you either get the sense of the obvious, you know, mm-hmm. metaphor, or it's it's too vague, you know. Like I don't know, it, it's not a case of like Buffalo Bill where again, like that's a very obvious point, and it's just rehashing that over and over. That whereas this one, the, the metaphor is like vague and you know attempting to be encompassing, and it's ultimately you know to its own detriment because it doesn't really incisively tackle you know specific idea you know it's just gestures at you know the political landscape of things and says see isn't this all corrupt and you know dumb and you know needing of reform yeah and it's it's so thinly sketched along those lines that you could i mean anything could really fit in that box if, if there's no structure around it so i mean that's there uh the obvious is there in the way that like the buffalo bill or uh um, uh, what's what's Sitting Bull's history yeah, lesson? Buffalo Bull the... Indians or Sitting Bull's history lesson? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. the The message is right there in the title. You know what it's about. Um, and if you read the whole health title with the acronym, I think you also know basically everything it will say. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, occasionally, you know, occasionally there's glimmers. You know, you never question the direction or, or intent. But there's definitely, like I said, some ugly stuff. They at, at one point they throw around some trans panic messaging uh, to kind of cook up some controversy. It's not actually like real in terms of the context right. of the film. You know, it's it's a, it's a fabricated lie, this sling bud, but it's ugly nonetheless, and uh, you know, totally unnecessary. And like some of the political campaigns and stuff that they're pulling from, I think some from like the '50s, '60s were also like mixed in this messaging and like. Uh, talking about the the uh, uh, more effeminate uh, qualities of the other candidate, or kind of dressing them down, talking about them being more womanly, and uh, those really stinging things. Of course, it's representing, but um, uh, it still talks ugly using them. I mean, it's still uh, um, not uh, not filtered through like a lens where I could understand it. Like when you said that, I was like, oh, I'm sure it's just like a, a brush across it, and it, it's like, man, that just kept going for a little bit. Um, yeah, it's in yeah. there. It's definitely in there, and, it, and like I said, it's like it doesn't endorse it by by any means. Like right. it's not like uh, overly, but it's still it's still utilizing these things in, in a way that's gross and you know unnuanced. Um, and, and again, even though it tries to frame it in a negative light, like oh, it's you know political mudslinging, it's still using it in a kind of destructive manner. Yeah, like, here's an ugly thing that happened on campaigns, but then you're just representing ugly thing in your movie. Like, it's not uh, further dissecting that and, and no, making it's, it's sure not dissecting, yeah. it's... not dissecting the use of it. It's just right. it's using that as an example of political mudslinging effectively. And again, yeah. just, you know, bringing it out without any, you know, nuance or deconstruction to it. It's, you know... It reminded just, me just a lot... affirmation of that. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of that... Um, recent uh john stewart movie irresistible which i probably overrated because i love john stewart so much on the site but uh it reminded me just like that that basic mudslinging and and politicking and uh, following these opposing candidates which are such like kind of cartoony representations like the opposite poles of the u.s and how um all the campaigning and what's going on with the actual elections uh actually overcomes actual policy talk and all that so uh some interesting uh, intersections I, with films still being made. Yeah, again, there's something there, but it's just, it's really kind of, like, languidly guided along and kind of, you know, too too loose, unstructured, you know, um, to, to really be something 
a compelling end of interest to attach. And again, it's not that you'll have an easy time finding it to begin with. It's not. It's never been released on, on any physical format. You'll either have like the easiest time or the the hardest time finding it because you can only find it one place on a YouTube channel that happens to have it up. There's no other source. That's. I mean, there's no yeah. legal source. I don't believe, but. Uh, don't take that channel down because that's necessary service to have that uh, video up. Um, right. You know, obviously they the, the film still exists in some capacity. It's not like a missing film, but it's right. a it's it's not a you know uh, what a made available film. It's it's an unavailable film still. Uh, and and you know, by no means would I say that it doesn't deserve to be available, but. I'm not clamoring for a release, you know? Yeah, I, I do think it should be released physically, but I don't see what the audience is there. Maybe it could be packaged with something, but... It just just the the unnoteworthy Altman collection. <laughs> Quintet and Health collection. Yeah, the, 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 the mediocre 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, I, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself because there's a lot... There's so many of these films where it's like... Yep, there's Altman. He's doing the Altman stuff, and it's it's kind of interesting. But then it just kind of devolves into unfocused mess, you know, an unfocused mess by the end. So ultimately, I walk away, you know, pretty disappointed, and uh, you know, thinking it's very forgettable. That's the and worst case with this show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's still better than some cases where, again, it's just like this movie was so inane and boring. I have nothing to say about it. I at least. Am, able to point out things here and say yeah. yep that's that's an altman thing and and i appreciate still that every time i'm uh, it's not like where's altman what's he doing you know i can't see him in this project i always see altman he's very clearly the author never invisible films. yeah even yeah. in the worst of them even in the quintets he's still extremely visible uh yeah there's a uh, a thing where i would wish to have either like the worst movies in the world or, or like the absolute best examples of things but uh you can't always get what you want there, so that's that's totally yeah. fine. Were you more enthused with health than a perfect couple? I guess we could find out a bit later, but yeah, was... it's gonna it's gonna be splitting hairs. Really. Okay, it's <laughs> like the well, it's like the McCall and the Burnett of it all is kind of like worth right. like fitting that in to mark those off as well. Um, that's the thing is that again like i'm like oh i like laura bacall here she's doing you know like this big big performance and things i do like you her know, in it yeah and so that's like that's like a plus point but again like i said I like paul dooley too i thought he was good i like the music but sure we'll we'll see again it's like it, it feels like we're really like just tallying up things to <laughs> see which one we can put above the other it's it's I'm not gonna fight for it either. I guess it'll we'll be see. yeah. It'll be one of those ones we just quickly slot in both of them, and we're like, okay, it's fine wherever that is, as long as it's pretty low and somewhat relevant to it where it needs to be. Um, mm -hmm. I think so, the next couple we might next few we might have more interesting yeah, ranking. Yeah, yeah. The, these these two that we just talked about very kind of similar, very indifferent too. But the next two, there's, there's definitely a lot more to say. So health was shot in like the late 70s shelved for a while unceremoniously released oh by the um, way that was know. that was like leading up to like the the reagan and uh, carter like the presence yeah. there and it was meant to be like this incisive political thing then they held it till after it was too late for like the vote and everything it's like well you just sucked all the air out of that so of course it didn't get seen at the time either right oh maybe it would have been more compelling if it was like a more literal <laughs> political thing he did well, a, he did a, t a tv show later yeah tanner on tanner which is kind of interesting where he sent 
Michael Murphy out into the world as like pretending to be a candidate in, in the midst of a race. Yeah. And and in like convincing people and capturing that on film. That's interesting. But, like the uh, thing is like before he shot it, like the thing hadn't happened yet, right? So he is like framing like the inanity of like this uh, upcoming presidential race and commenting on the ones from like the fifties, sixties, and early seventies and. Then it ultimately just didn't match the material because it was already outdated by the time it came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, health again, like pro- probably the the last example there of his, you know, uh, pre eighties output, just totally floundering, not making any waves at box office or with audiences, mm-hmm. and so uh, he's brought in to to Paramount to direct the live action Popeye musical. And uh, I hope you had your spinach, because uh, this one's a, a wild one. That uh, I think we so, both have a lot of affections. It's for. so yeah. It's it's such a weird project, and it's and it's, it's kind of seen as. And, and the ironic thing is that it's seen as a as the crowning failure for for Altman. What what pushed him out of Hollywood? What killed you know his entire momentum there in the seventies? But. It made money, like it made four yeah. times its budget. It was successful. And, <laughs> yeah, and people really like it. Still has a good following nowadays, and so the, the the fact that it was so maligned, like culturally, you know, within Hollywood at the time, really just indicates how everyone I think just wanted to ostracize Altman, and they just picked this. They 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 nicknamed the film Evans Gate after producer Robert Evans. You know, big player at uh, Paramount directed uh, you know produced Chinatown and stuff yeah and and this was like his big project he's like uh, they, he, he wanted to get the rights to Annie to make mm-hmm. a musical of that but John Huston had it and um, was gonna make the movie and so he, he just asked internally at Paramount what what other comic characters do we have that we can make a musical out of and someone suggested Popeye and that's the reason that's that's the entire reason Robert Evans just wanted to make a comic strip character uh, musical. <laughs> okay. Like, I, po- Popeye is not inherently musical. Like, so that's like one of the odd things at first. You're like, why, you know, of, of all subjects to make a, a musical, I guess you could do Popeye, but it's not inherently logical. It um, doesn't even play as that musical, despite the musical nature of it. I mean, well, that, the music's right. not the hook, I don't think. Well, that's the, that's the ultimate of it all kind of here. And that's the other thing is that then you bring in Altman to to direct this. Um, I know he wanted like Hal Ashby early on as like one person as well. Uh, to direct, interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. To okay, direct. I would like the Hal Ashby version of it. Probably Hal, Hal Ashby Popeye. <laughs> I'm just imagining it. It's like the last detail, you know. Yeah. In that sense, it could be more interesting. More Stigler movies. <laughs> yeah. Again, like just just this interesting slate of unique '70s directors. I guess that Evans like really. W- w- was interested in pursuing for this, and he ended up getting Altman. Oh, oh, again, a, a very odd choice for a Popeye, you know, movie. I don't know what about it would inherently appeal to Altman. I still don't. <laughs> after doing some, some reading around, uh, but he he was down for it, and he wanted the chance, I guess, to make a big, you know, um, studio movie, uh, and he did. <laughs> and, and it's the thing is that it's this very weird fusion of like typical big budget musical productions of the era hmm. while also being still so uniquely and distinctly Alton. 
Yeah. I, I mean, like, the, the set decor is really interesting. Like, this island in Malta where they still have it preserved and you could go tour some of these spaces um, because they're, they're so unique and they're so structurally interesting looking. There was a quote in the book, I can't remember who it was from, but they basically said that Altman would have picked the moon as the perfect destination to shoot the film if, if he could have just to get away from the suits. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, um, that, that's that's their idea of why he probably chose Malta, of all places. Sure. Yeah, Malta is an it, odd place normally to shoot a film. Right. Uh, they said they had to import all of the wood to build the sets <laughs> because... It's just a rock. Like, right. They don't have trees on Malta. Yeah. So so it's not like there's an industry to take from there. They had to import all the wood to build this shanty town. Well, that's why, uh, my, why it might be so great, because everything feels so handmade. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, it's, it's similar to the town in McCabe Mrs. Miller, I guess you could draw a parallel from, is that it feels like a character in and of itself, this uh, sweet haven, you know, this little alcove here that's you know built out of what looks like you know various you know leftovers from shipwrecks and stuff you know and you get the sense that all these denizens of the town kind of found their way washed up onto the shores naturally it, there's a real life and identity to the set design and the art direction that is just really enrapturing and unexpected from again a live action Popeye movie <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. That immediately immediately the film is is kind of like pulls you in and gets your attention and like some of the um figures in it are like naturalistic like Shelley Duvall just makes the most perfect sense as olive oil um it's she- yeah it's, it's perfect casting like she was called like she was teased for being like olive oil as like a kid and like you see it and you know in her uh stick you know kind of yeah. uh, stick figure demeanor there uh yeah it's great casting and of course already being a regular you know collaborator of Altman you know perfectly made sense of the part and you got Robin Williams, you know, like the living embodiment of uh, a cartoon character at the time. <laughs> it was his first movie. Uh, okay. They, they scooped him up from Mork and Mindy. Uh, so. I'm not familiar with Mork and Mindy, which is a odd blind spot considering uh, what time I'm from and what was on TV when I was growing up. I suppose you make it sound like you're older than than you are, but yeah. In, in my early fifties. Uh, um. <laughs> I'd be 10 years older if that were true, if I were growing up in Mork and Mindy times. So. Yeah. But, yeah, almost. Like, it, it does feel like a little bit of a cultural blind spot for us, especially since uh, we, our generation kind of grew up in love with Robin Williams. Right. It just you seems think, like an odd think thing. We'd go back, you think we'd go back and see where all that started from, but nope. No, we haven't. I feel like it was like, uh, yeah, I, I always liked Robin Williams. I always felt attached to... Uh, whatever his style of comedy, but uh, also critical distance from celebrity seemed to be, and also his depression and possible addiction, or just like all the darkness around all that, really interesting mm-hmm. to, and relatable to me. I would say, uh, what mm-hmm. what is it called? Like what darkness may come, what what life may come. What's that movie called? Um, what dreams? What dreams may come was a very affecting movie for me as a teenager. Uh, I felt a lot of things about that. Uh, as a dark uh, emo teenager, we'll say. Uh, a goth. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, Popeye's a different end of the spectrum for him. Right, right. And and he feels very, like, like incredibly suited to the part, and specifically as a another uh, Altman, you know, uh, person as well. He feels very of a piece with the Altman style, the very, you know, um, uh, improvisational style of Altman films. 
uh, they work very well together as a team. You know, Altman just giving him free reign essentially to to riff and find what works, and then slotting that into the film in a way that works for the characters um, and the dynamic of it. That this is this feels stronger as as far as cohering around a central idea than the previous films we've talked about, but still seems to be missing some kind of driving force, a, a thrust. Yeah. Um, there's there it's it's there but it feels like the movie doesn't care about it i think is the big difference yeah like popeye's just wandered into this sea shanty town to go find his missing father they have the funny thing with the frame the picture frame that's a reoccurring gag he's he's got a frame of his dad but instead of a picture it just says like my dad or something on it (laughs) then i i think it does lead up to like this this great really beautiful moment where he's like i will go and she's like i will stay and they can't like uh absorb they can't figure that out between each other like that that beautiful push and pull that they both have as an explorer and and as someone who's landlocked on this rock uh and like the beautiful like moonlit like seas just calling to him and she has to stay behind and uh i don't know i i like moments of it like that uh I'm I'm awfully yeah. fond of Popeye, despite the movie that it is. I think it's it's inexplicably appealing, um, uh, despite a lot of notable flaws, n- most significantly in the pacing and a little bit in the execution of the cartoonishness of it. But I appreciate the attempts to just lean into the total absurdity of the slapstick, uh, regardless. Uh, and, and you can question some cheaper looking things like people complain about the arms how they look really fake yeah I don't you mind uh, yeah no, it's, and that's like not a big deal to me I think that... there's other aspects that I feel like are really really accurate like they get the look of olive oil down just right with like the oversized shoes oh yeah the dress and everything she yeah she, she looks perfect Shelley Duvall looks absolutely perfect and we talked about her taking a lot of notes from like Buster Keaton and kind of like that whole school of early comedy and using like her physicality to uh, exude like weirdness like when she crosses her legs she looks bow-legged and funny and uh, but also attractive and alluring is like the olive oil that would lure Popeye into this town and uh, when she's like just uh, even singing you could like feel like the painfulness in her voice when she's like he's large <laughs> that's like her, yeah. her only note in this song is just uh, saying yeah she's with this guy because he's large and it says so much when she does it mm-hmm. there's yeah the music is its own oddity. The whole score is written by Harry Nilsson. Weird, is, yeah. Yeah, weird choice. Uh, but, you know, kind of cool at the same time. But the songs are all very simplistic and repetitive. But they're also kind of, like, charming because of that. I don't, I don't know. Again, it's, yeah. it's a weird thing where I'm like, I, I'm both not a fan of this, but also really taken in with it. And I, and I feel like that's really reflective of the whole film itself. So many, like, bizarre choices that, that kind of function together and, and, and definitely stand out and, and remain singular and interesting and entertaining. But is it good? I wish they took bigger swings like this and kept missing more than, like, the safety of, like, the modern uh, a version of a comic film. <laughs> Um, I, I think this is such a more interesting swing than, than most of what Marvel and DC have been doing for the last 30 well, years. But. Even just with, like, live-action adaptations of yeah. cartoon characters. Sure. Like, is there anything that's, like, similar to this? Like, not, nowadays, we're just kind of inundated with, you know, CG characters in live-action settings. You know, 
it's Sonic the Hedgehog or Woody the Woodpecker or Tom and Jerry or whatever the hell it is nowadays that they're they're doing. They didn't do that then because you know you, you didn't have the capacity as much. You, you just made it all in live action. You took the comic and you brought it into huh. real life while trying to keep the logic and physics of that. <laughs> well, yeah, you you, know, you wouldn't have to go construct anything on Malta because you'd have green screens and you'd shoot it in Georgia and then put Malta in there if you wanted it. If they want, I mean, that's the thing is that nowadays they don't even do that. They just bring the cartoons into the real world. You know, that's it's so boring. That, that's, yeah, that's well, and that's the whole shtick. That's the that's the thing nowadays. Uh, I, I don't know why. I mean, uh, why just, did you kick that off? Just because it was good for Roger Rabbit doesn't mean anyone else can do it. Um, I think it's our line. Is <laughs> yeah, like, but that was even, even that was like, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I can't think of anything really comparable to Popeye in no. terms of how it tries to interpret and translate comics to, to the real world while sticking to the spirit of their inherently kind of surrealistic environments. Yeah, uh, but just... It's, it, it's full of all sorts of gags and yeah. weird bits that it only... Like, what, one moment that always stands out to me is when, like, Bluto gets, like, really, really mad... And they, you literally cut to his perspective, and you see everything in, in red. Yeah. Everyone's in, like, a red outfit now, and the whole background is red. That's And good. it's done, like, it's not like a filter. It's just, like, they, they literally, like, put on red costumes, and they painted the said red, just to get that idea and communicate that inherently cartoonish idea. And sure. I'm like, I love, I love the idea of that, that you had this idea in terms of the execution uh, and, 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 and doing this bit, and you committed to it, and you followed through. And that, but then there's other times where it's like where they're trying to replicate the physicality and sometimes it works like when you've got Popeye as a motorboat like he just <laughs> and he's like a submarine with a corncob pipe is like the, the same thing but then other bits where it's just like the general slapstick and hitting people around and stuff and it's like it's a little believable but not, not as much the physics is not quite there they don't do enough with the spinach so that's amazing. Well, the whole point, the, yeah, the whole plot of it is that it's like an uh, origin story for Popeye. He yeah. doesn't like spinach. Yeah. This Popeye, Popeye doesn't like spinach yet. We he, need him to like spinach, the power of spinach. That's the interesting oh, that's thing about him there. is they eat spinach and he gets kids to eat spinach, and that's what's good about him. We we get there by the end because yeah. it's it's like the origin. Uh, yeah, I think the big thing that, that kind of tampers things out, like I, I would think the film is good. If the ending didn't go on for so long, that's <laughs> well, that's like the the big thing. At the beginning, this has happened the last three times I've watched it. Jess walks by, she's like, "Oh, you're watching Popeye." Then two hours later, she's like, "Oh my god, that's the longest boring kids movie ever made." And I'm like, "Well, I see it, but but I have I have you know, if you sit and watch it, you kind of experience like the joys of it, which are more subtle than the whole run, which looks boring yeah. from the outside." It's it is too long, I think. Far and, too long. And yeah. It, and the climax takes way too long to unfold, but I like things consistently in in the climax. And I like all of its like a lot of its ideas, but it's just like it's too much. Like they they wanted to do too much there. It needed a bit of culling in in the script area to make it a little more concise. A, ni a ninety minute runtime would have been perfect for this kind of thing. It's about two hours instead, and like the last thirty minutes is just climax. And part of the issue comes from the father subplot, which again doesn't like really develop until right. that last third it's it's like it's set up and then it's abandoned and then it comes up again at the end and it draws out the climax because we need all of the Popeye antics with his dad 
And I love his dad. I love that. I love Ray Walston as yeah. his dad. Ray Walston. All sorts of things. He looks like an older version, so that works out. I think it, it well, it's, visually, it, it's a good gag. It's great casting as well because Ray Walston is most famous for also playing an alien on television. It is the star of My Favorite Martian. Oh so, yeah, that's great. That's 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 a that's ingenious casting in terms of reflecting that in a kind of generational way between him and Robin Williams there. So at the time, they were both most famous for playing aliens on TV. Well, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I see the connection. Yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah, yeah. Great. I love it. Um, but yeah, because it takes so long to get there, though, like their whole interaction like really drags out the pacing of the end. And it's all good stuff. They have this great rapport and back and forth, but it just makes the whole ending like really, really long because then there's a whole boat chase scene, too, and there's a big fight underwater as well to draw everything out. There's a whole thing with a treasure chest that they're finding. Yeah. And it all just comes, like all of this is all information in the last 30 minutes. You know, like everything before this doesn't really have an effect on, on this big climax. That's true. And, and so it feels like it needs to be simplified a little bit. A little too many things because this is all of this in the film is uh, without mentioning the sweet pea plot. You know, oh, yeah. finding the baby. Yeah, that's also a, a huge component of the film leading up until now. But again, which also doesn't really have an effect on well, the finale. As uh, uh, Robert Evans says, the kid stays in the picture. That's... Uh... <laughs> That's what he was talking about when he was... Uh, <laughs> Famously, <Robert> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where that, that they wanted, famous they wanted to cut sweep. Yeah. They wanted to cut Sweepy out. It was too many elements, and he said... The kid stays, stays in, in the, the picture. picture. Yeah, absolutely. That's where that famous quote comes from. Um, Popeye, a uh, genius-level uh, film that's just good, actually. Uh, it's There's so much to like uh, that you can't dismiss it out of hand, but there's also just a lot of like inconsistencies and unevenness. But again, it was successful it made money you know uh but it was still considered this big failure that that booted Altman out of hollywood for some reason and again like uh, i i watch it every day when i was in like a drug rehab because it was just playing in the dark theater i found it so joyous as a escape from uh, the mundanity of whatever our uh technology free lives were at that moment um it was nice to be the only movie that i saw for a while there's there's definitely worse movies to be the only movie you see Every day, like Miss Doubtfire. Yeah, I can see that being worse. Definitely, again, like there's, I just like the the environment of Popeye. It, it feels like a real, you know, uh, you, he's established this, you know, really lively village that he can kind of exist in, and just in the space of this, the set design itself is immaculate with all of these interesting characters. Again, we didn't even talk about like you know the tax man running around, right? Or, or, and Paul Dooley here. He's as the the burger guy. The burger guy's great. Um, yeah. Uh, but and and all these different people, all of the oils. Uh, so it's it's really wonderful film to exist in, but it's you know it, it's a little uneven. It's got more focus than some of his other stuff. His you know less studio centric stuff, but uh, not still not entirely focused. It's a little you know all over the place and kind of meandering, but. I think in a more enjoyable way. Yeah. Um, I, I, you can get bored during it, but I don't think you're ever objectively against the movie and its aims. So. For, yeah, for, for some who consider this a big failure, like a total, you know, uh, oddity, uh, totally dismissible. I don't, I don't think it is at all. I think it's wholly unique and very fascinating as both an Altman film, as a big studio film for the time, 
as a as a kind of like end of the big budget, you know, outdoors seventies musicals, yeah. you know, that whole trend. I think it's also kind of an interesting example of the end of that. Curious, yeah. It's all all fascinating and entertaining and interesting. Um, good, more of a question mark. I think sure. uh, I I, en- I enjoy it immensely, and and I think that's the most uh, um, good you know like like good thing I can say about it. Certainly, the, the most uh, affirming thing. Yeah, I I like it a lot, and I I've rated it higher than you. Although I think we like it about the same, and we're just choosing a different preference uh, between rating and uh, whether we feel it will slide up the Altman scale. Actually, I think again, yeah, the the number is not going to matter. This is a. a you know, I think Bro said it very well in the chat, and we talked about Popeye as well on this podcast before. You can yeah. listen to that episode. I've, you know, remembering now, me and Bro had a really nice discussion about it. Um, but P- Popeye is a film that kind of subverts the idea of the arbitrary number assignment. Uh, it, it, the number I assign it will not reflect inherently the the unique qualities and appeals of the film. My, I certainly think it's more than that. My number does reflect it. Sorry to say, uh, but. Uh, that's well some of us have considered our skills others are, are still figuring it out uh, so what's next david <laughs> oh I see, I see okay the, the the next one is again perhaps most convolutedly titled film so far come back to the five and dime jimmy dean jimmy dean if you think of it like a woman yelling after him as he's racing down uh come back to the five and dime jimmy dean jimmy dean like i guess yeah it's not a bad title for it's you know, fun. in the context of the <laughs> film. On the outside, it, it seems definitely odd, and the repetition of Jimmy Dean there seems un- unnecessary. I think it would be a good title without that. Okay. Like, don't you think if it's just come back to the fire dime, Jimmy, D- Jimmy Dean? No, I, th- I think the I think the echo gives it kind of a, a, okay. a rhythmic quality that that I like. Uh, again, I don't think it's a great title necessarily. It could definitely seem like like it's not something you would pick up and be like, oh, I want to see that. It's almost like an off-putting title in a <laughs> way, but I don't think it's an ill-suited title. Oh sure. Um, I, well, anyway, this is I'm I'm ready to be disappointed. <laughs> I just want to say that I I have seen your opinions for all of the films leading up to this podcast. Except for this one, I'm I'm confident that you intentionally have kept your opinion secret from me because you know that I really favor this film. Yeah, and I didn't want to disappoint you yet. So when I first heard the title for this movie, I thought obviously okay, a five and dimes like an old like a um, you know boutique store could sell like some uh, food, and I thought they had run out of a uh, Jimmy Dean sausage. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, just, I thought they were yeah. out of stock on their Jimmy Dean meat products and they, mm-hmm. they need to order more and that's why they, they say so, jimmy dean jimmy dean they need two orders so you were like watching the film waiting for that shoe to drop and then just when it never yeah. did you were you're really confused and frustrated yeah even by the credits i was waiting for the sausage to drop um <laughs> figuratively and and literally um and uh no no sausage in the movie but uh no. it is a uh, uh, very interesting i i do actually like it quite a bit too um uh, oh, oh, so which is probably a relief for you, uh, because I think it's such an interesting look at uh, fan culture in a way that still exists today. Like it has, it has variable things that you could keep reading into it, uh, uh, despite I think a lot of the the dead culture of it, like the five and dime stores and uh, just stuff that like if you give it to a fourteen year old, they won't know what that is or or why it exists like this or or what these women are doing with their lives. There, there is a lot going on in the movie. Uh, which is 
to say that it's a very well-written script. It's based on a, a stage play that Altman mounted, actually, originally. Uh, this is so he... After the uh, misfires of Popeye and such and everything proceeding, he just uh, he went to New York and he started staging plays. And this was one of the, the first ones he did. This was Cher's big break uh, as far as acting goes. Oh, is and, it? Uh, she's yeah. really good already. She seems like she's been acting a while. Uh, I know, right? Like, she's so great here. But yeah, so he uh, he, he cast her in, in the play. And she's not and Cher that, at all. She's She's playing a character. She's acting, acting. That's uh-huh. great. That's yeah. fantastic. That it's her first, her first it big her, break. Yeah, it got it got her the part in Silkwood that got her. I think I think she got an Oscar nomination for that. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, and then and then the Altman stage film. Same actors across the board. It's the same uh, cast as is in the stage play. So that's really interesting. Uh, and then and so you see him considering and, and you know figuring out how to then properly adapt something that is designed for and set on the stage for the screen. Yeah, and and for me, this is one of the quintessential examples of how to balance those elements. We we talked about that idea as well on the cocktail uh, episode with uh, Mr. Parents to Readless mm-hmm. uh, in terms of being again another show, you know, that was staged by the director that he then translated to the screen in a seamless fashion. And so that's one of the the core appeals of Come Back to the Five and Dine, Jimmy D and Jimmy D to me. Um, is seeing that and seeing the the benefits of the stage and the intimacy of that and the inherent unreality of the stage with the intimacy and the reality of cinema, putting you know, kind of combining those two together. But even more than that, like textually, just from the material itself, it's very rich in themes. I see it as a uh, kind of interesting reflection of. Um, the last picture show in terms of yeah you know, I thought of that contemplations. too but significantly yeah, better than that movie <laughs> for, for, for me yes certainly uh, and, and I think they would make a good piece together in terms of um, complementing each other in their in their themes about place this this emptiness of, of certain you know like like dead towns and, and what people strive for and particularly in that connection to the movies how both you know films uh, kind of center their ideas around that you know it's, it's, right it's areas of escape <laughs> like movie fandoms in these extremely small towns where there's not actually the culture being reflected on the screens that they're seeing like they see jimmy dean or they see the last picture show and they're like oh yeah, yeah look at all this life that doesn't exist for me and and in particular for jimmy dean it's it's very important it centers around this uh the, the shooting there of, of uh the george stevens film giant mm-hmm. uh, coming to they're, they're a small Texas town to shoot and this brief encounter with, with celebrity uh, and the movies that uh, they that, that certain characters feed off of for the rest of their lives. Yeah, uh, the, Jesus Christ. The, 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 the kind of the gimmick of the film the setup is basically that it's set in two different time periods 20 years apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the film opens in, in the present. Everyone, you know, all, all of the, the women that used to, you know, live in this town are coming back for a reunion of their James Dean fan club um, 20 years after his death, I believe, uh, is it? And then it goes back and forth between that 20 years ago when this was all happening and them still playing the same parts as the, the younger version of themselves. Again, in a kind of suspension of disbelief way that you, you buy that these women are playing characters 20 years younger but looking more or less the same. But it's done really well because Altman utilizes stage trickery 
uh, in conjunction with the, the camera work to uh, go back in, in, in time and, and, and through lighting effects and the work of the camera and shooting it through the mirror, the, 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 the two-way mirror that you see in the back of the, the bar area. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, again, it's probably a holdover technique from the stage to convey that visually, that difference in time. But it works so well on the screen as well. It almost has like a Douglas Sirkian, like glowing soap vibe to it that uh, I, I find really alluring of that, of uh, the period he's evoking, especially. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really wonderful in that sense. And again, a great cast of characters, another intimate, you know, set of characters here, a very small number of players, of all, almost entirely female cast. And uh, Altman often worked with women in ways that some people find peculiar or maybe questionable, but uh, uh, they, they just don't know what his relationship was to all the women that he ended up working with. And uh, for him... It's, it's an interesting read because at the same... Okay, like we, we can tie that back to like MASH, I guess, is our primary like misogynist example, if, right. if that's what we're like, like kind of identifying here. But there's so many other examples of where Altman is really sensitive to, to feminine issues and depictions of women in this film. That's the you thing, know. yeah, he's so invested, and uh, I don't always know if he's the right messenger, but I think he, he ends up getting something really different out of women. That uh, I, I don't want to say he's the only one that can do it, but I think the, the women of Altman are, are very interesting to study. Yeah, and this is, I think, uh, uh, again, in terms of paralleling with any of his other films, I would say three women in terms of how it you know, kind of deals with feminine identity um, and, and, and that perspective. It, it has very interesting parallels in that sense, but, but also in a very different way because right. there's another element of the film that is, I think, surprising in its nuance. I don't, I don't know how exactly it's received, though, uh, by, by the, the, the people it's depicting is my only concern. I don't, I don't have that perspective. Yeah, it's, it's just like that dreamscape of, like, a transitory place and spaces and time and, like, three women in here uh, say so much about what Altman's doing. And I do think, like, his against-the-grain casting of women uh, typically is always interesting. And those characters say so much about the space they inhabit as well, uh, especially here. They, they all seem so uh, of their place. Like we said, Cher is not Cher, and I think the same goes for the other actresses. They, they well, all belong here. And what I... What I like about the film as well is that it's a film about secrets, essentially. It's a film about personal vulnerabilities and how people react when confronted uh, by those ideas. Because there's a lot of reconciling that takes place uh, with these different prejudices, these different denials that, people, uh, that, that everyone in the film has. Everyone is confronted with something that they are not happy to, to try and face. And they have been trying to ignore or, or push away mm -hmm. and seeing how those people react some people being upset accepting some people being denying some people being outright vitriolic you know uh, i think it's a very you know a nuanced display of, of a spectrum there of uh you know how, how humans you know tend to interpret the, those ideas when they're when they're brought to them uh and and obviously there, there's one kind of big firecracker thrown into the mix there that kind of sets everything off to, to start with hmm. but it's not it's not solely about that it's not it, you know 
it, it's not this one controversial thing. I think there, there's a lot more to it and, and the various other characters and the different truths that they have to deal with and, you know, combat. But that one explosive element is certainly the, the, the most significant and, and noteworthy in, in the film in terms of how it defines things. Yeah, I I think it's interesting. I, I don't, again, I don't know if Altman's always the right guy for, like, the, the gender study, bringing the, the male into the group and well, the question I think is is that at this time period, um, it, was there another way to dis, to to bring it forth in the mainstream? You know, in terms of things, and it might not mean it's good, it, even if there weren't. Sure, <laughs> but, sure, yeah. sure. But but I think that's the question ultimately. That, yeah. which I was about to say, there is, is it a good representation? Do we do we think it holds up today in terms of uh, respectfully and with nuance attacking? Uh, uh, gender identity and specifically you know uh, trans character representation in films and someone could say it isn't from that community and I'd respect it more than uh, my own opinion which is only founded on my own comfortability which is I wasn't uncomfortable um, so I, I, I found it very uh, considered myself okay again, good like said, we're I, both I, on yeah. the same page then yeah I, I, I think it does it in, in a downright progressive way even it's very embracing of the, the trans character and um, not attributing I mean it, it, it does to a certain extent attribute their decision their, their uh, you know um, uh, trans you know identity to to coming from a place of trauma um, w which you can point to as a is a questionable and perhaps unethical element but it's not uh, an untrue one it's you know there's certainly something uh you know it attributes to something there even before then i think inherently it's not solely linked to this um you know traumatic event that that pushed them there necessarily um, yeah and it's certainly something that character still reconciles with and still has a hard time processing and going through um and, and i think it's very sympathetic and considerate to that character and doesn't you know portray them in terms of like a, a you know in that it was a, a failing of any kind it, you know they they're a triumphant character, um, and, and a sympathetic one. Um, yeah, again, like in, in terms of depiction, it's you know it is a, a you know a, a female actress playing a, a trans character, uh, and, and nowadays we don't look on that as, as fondly. We want to give more opportunities to trans actors to you know portray themselves in media, uh, but obviously in the '80s, that's you know something that was more or less unheard of. Yeah. Um... And cer certainly in a mainstream production, uh, certainly a different process of going about it. Um, and in that context, uh, I think that um, it's done very well that, that Karen Black does a terrific part in the role, and that she's very suited for it. That was originally, actually originally the part that uh, Cher was asked to try out for. Oh, and, that'd uh, be interesting. She didn't want, she, she didn't want to, and uh, she didn't do well uh, doing it, apparently. And it's so fair not she, to she, want to. She and Altman agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I. It just wasn't. I. I don't know if it was specifically that or like the. The part itself. Well, obviously she wasn't as suited, but she's terrific uh, in 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 the role that she is given. Yeah. Very. You know, as to see there, just immediately bold in personality, but also like vulnerable. You know, in, in terms of when it comes time to, to confront her own issues and stuff. Yeah. You. You, you said again, terrific actress here. Like we. Between this and, and Mask, I'm very on board with Cher. Me that's too. And, yeah. I, I think we're Cher converts this year. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the big takeaway from the history. Cher might just be a really good actress that I didn't know was that good. Um, 
I'm impressed mm -hmm. consistently so far, and I think we'll keep finding examples to be impressed by Cher. When's there a Cher the, show? Right. I'm also really impressed with Sandy Dennis in the film, who we saw earlier in uh, that cold day in the park. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's good too. She, she, yeah, she, she is this really terrific. Woman. She's able to go into these fits of histrionics without it seeming over the top, you know, or you know, entirely fabricated. They feel very real and like she's very much lost in this own delusion she's conjured up for for herself and these own emotional issues that she can't seem to escape her own being. Oh. It's just they're they're impeccable performances from across the board on this this myriad of uh, interesting themes, there's personal themes, you know, reflective societal themes, all while also packaged in this immaculate presentation of you know the the fabrication of the stage and the the rally of the camera and the work within there and the single setting that never feels like a suffocating environment. Yeah. You know we never we never leave the store and there's some things that happen outside the store that we are you know made privy to. Yeah. But it, it never feels like a constrained space. It always feels like it's full of life and and there's a great like, I I love the end shot of the film too, which is just like a tour through. The dilapidated space of the five and dime at the end of it all and if you think about like if you've ever had a history of like going to something that used to be like a five and dime store like the uh, presence of all the antique furnitures and uh everything looks antique is actually authentically like sourced from antique materials and i think about like uh, my grandparents like running like a, a five and dime in like the uh, middle of idaho and uh you know like generations ago like three generations ago like uh, just, just how it was like in my family lineage and how uh, interesting those spaces were in America as like stop-offs and like all our interconnected roadways and what those like bargain stores said about us. Uh, again, comes up a few times in Bogdanovich's, but... Yeah, again, I, th I think it's got those parallels to this, but in, in terms of that, it's, a, it's another film about rural America and the, you know, the, this kind of dead-end sense of, you know, uh, being uh, detached from wider sense of society, but also this being the only thing these people have ever known and, and can't seem to get away from. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just really terrific, I think. And again, like I said, I think it handles its potentially uh, controversial subject matter with uh, great deafness. I'd be very interested to to seek out a, a, a trans-specific identity, uh, you know, perception perspective on this film yeah me too I, i'm hesitant till i have uh... i i feel confident weighing in i'm I, I would love to get that that nuance and that side of things but i don't know that it would necessarily it wouldn't shift change my, my opinion yeah it wouldn't shift my opinion uh, either but i'm really interested i should say because because i think the film does go a long ways in terms of you know uh portraying the the, the fear and anger that can be pointed at you know queer uh, individuals for just simply existing and expressing their their identity, it, go, it goes a long way in, in painting that uh, that livelihood for them and that you know that bravery that they need to face that. Yeah, you know, a lot of my, times. I guess my only objection is to keep seeing that being made by white directors who are male is uh, troubling for me. I, I mean, I guess at that time there weren't like out trans directors that could have done it, but. Uh, uh, right, it was still a, a subject in terms of that wasn't it wasn't very talked about in the mainstream. Right. So I think in that sense, just the portrayal of it in general is very bold and progressive. And again, that that it's filled with nuance and sympathy 
is uh, a, a wonderful achievement even of itself. And that, again, that was 40 years ago. Yes. Yeah. I guess, like, my clear line is that I need to make sure, like, the trans films that I love the most are by trans filmmakers that, like, speak to their community, too. And I, I, I love that you love the movie. I just like it a lot, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's a, a fair place to be. I, I think I, you're probably satisfied with that versus me being like, oh, it's I, boring. I am, I am very happy. Yeah, yeah. again, like, in terms of... Uh, the, the big thing for me, above all, is that I think it's just this, you know, picture-perfect example of the blending of stage and screen together. That That is such a rare achievement, I find. Mm -hmm. There's There's so few films, I think, that do that. Again, it's either... You, you take it out of the stage entirely or you're entirely constrained by that that setting and that you know uh environment and uh, again come back to the five and nine gbt and gbt and it's just really one of the quintessential examples of how you can have both and how they complement and raise each other up in the process and still extremely altman and like glowing cinematically of the stage yeah i think it hits on on pretty much any count that it could yeah and, and again, I, th I think it goes to show just how masterful Omen can be when he's got, uh, when he doesn't deviate too much from the script. Like, there's very clearly a strong script here that's guiding Omen's direction. That yeah. got, gives him a core place to go, and he's not deviating that much from it. I think that's a relief after the, the last three yeah. we've talked about here. <laughs> I, I was relieved. It's, it's, it's very structured. It's very well considered. The characters are incredibly well sketched out you're not like gleaning from someone. there's a couple of ancillary characters that like you know you, you care less about like if there's an issue for me it's like it, it ties up everything really really neatly at the end does. with some of these side characters and stuff like everyone's got to have this big reconciliation and i don't think that was entirely necessary so yeah that, that's like my only big issue that i might take other than as we said i'm, I'm very curious to hear yeah additional out you know outside perspectives of my own here which is definitely not an issue it's just our outside curiosity we want to kind of resolve like uh well it's important to read their perspectives well, it's, important, it's important to hear yeah especially to know how the people who are being represented on screen are, are taking this in yeah absolutely but, uh i i i'll say that i haven't heard any condemning things in, in the brief looking around i've done yeah you know outright like, so and, and that might just be because it's not as known i don't know again this is yeah uh, when I came across this film, I was I was blown away because I was not expecting it to be so well done. Again, it's it's in this '80s period, mm -hmm. you know. It's it's kind of like this this unheralded gem in a in a mess of you know unfocused you know uncertain works. And this seems the most certain and focused that we find, uh, which isn't as true for for our next film. Yeah, uh, the the last one. Yeah, it's about a uh, it's about Twitch streamers. Um, Streamers, yes. streamers is the name of it. It's uh, a, a a Vietnam film uh, that never gets to Vietnam. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. It is. It's also a prequel this... of a, a saintly switch that never gets there. <laughs> yeah, the first film for David Allen Greer, uh, who makes a good impression here, and uh, this is a... who's already beloved in like uh, in Living Color and all that. Right? I don't know the timeline on the on that, but. But he is, yeah. yeah, he's emerging from the stage. Also early film for, for Matthew Modine. He's like a baby in this movie. Yeah, they're all babies, the, the three guys. Yeah. So this is another stage adaptation. Uh, and my impression watching it first, I was like, this came after Come Back to the Five Nine Jimmy Dean. It's, it's like the opposite in terms of how to go about adapting 
a, a stage well, production. Like I was, I was a little flabbergasted after you know coming off of Jimmy Dean, where I'm like, this is how you bring something from the stage to the screen. This is how you combine the best of both worlds, and you really bring out the strengths of both forms in that. And this is just like your streamers is just like your quintessential example of like being stifled by the setting, being stuck in just these kind of you know singular you know uh, monologueish performances. And, and not really getting outside the, you know, uh, the, the constrained area of that. It's a case where I think Altman's women are so important around the last 20 years of the filmmaking that we right. we studied, where uh, without women, it's, you know, men without women are just a, a certain way. It's, it's like it's like the total opposite. Again, we go from an all-female cast to an all-male cast. And it doesn't and... hold the same way. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's again we and we see that in stuff like Mash as well. This is again another good companion piece to Mash in terms of like how uh, the the incisive commentary that's being attempted to made about American bravado and the military apparatus uh, just just kind of fails to stick. I think uh, ultimately it's it's there. It's very obviously you know uh, part of the material and and wants to be very incisive but just you know feels very meandering and very un unfocused and uh hollow i think the message ultimately feels kind of hollow at a certain point it, it erupts into you know uh you know kind of violent uh you know uh, conclusion and uh, i'm not invested enough in the characters to really care about the consequence of that yeah it... it's another film uh it's, it's another film about lgbt issues as well it's about uh you know men coming out as gay in, in, within the military and again, for such a potentially, you know, uh, con controversial matter there, you know, to, to, to be tackling and to really kind of investigate the inherent bigotry and, uh, you know, oppression of uh, American society, but specifically within the military as a whole, I, I don't think it necessarily gets there. And it doesn't really expose it, you know, in any truly enlightening or condemning way it's at least right-hearted i don't think it comes from the wrong place and the the objectives are the right objectives it's just that the stage play i also wouldn't be interested in because i don't find yeah any of this i don't find the conversations that uh stunningly written or that uh evocative of the screen as uh, jimmy dean jimmy dean the sausage movie was uh, uh <laughs> despite being more sausage on screen technically uh, a lot less uh, in the meat of the film it's a it's a weaker material overall for sure. And the the one thing I found compelling, uh, I think, was unintentional. I I think the film accidentally parallels this this idea of fear manifesting uh, as hatred and, and bigotry. It does. That made me uncomfortable, uh, in, actually. In, yeah. In in the sense that the same rhetoric that the the men in the, the barracks used to you know condemn and uh insults uh the the you know the gay men around them is the same kind of approach and expression of fear that they use when talking about the vietnamese and the Viet Cong and the you know combat in the jungle shit that's their, true yeah their fear their fear manifests in this vitriolic hate and i think there's something there in terms of like this paralleling idea but the film isn't actually making the connections it's kind of it stumbles upon it accidentally this idea that I was like, it's like, oh, there's there's something there, but you're you're not realizing it and you're not capitalizing on it. And I don't know if you <laughs> really know where to go with it anyway. If you're drawing a parallel there, but there, yeah. there's this idea there that it's fear manifesting in, in hate and uh, you know uh, 
bigotry, but it, it, it doesn't actually do anything. Oh, it's um, almost like beyond the sociological reasons people have to join the military, they join because of all their fear and hatred anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, again, there's there's something yeah. there, uh, but, but the movie doesn't realize it and doesn't capitalize I feel like it, we've so. said that about four or five movies now, of Altman's. <laughs> there's like a thing there, and the, the idea is right-minded, but... Uh, uh, but in, in this case, I feel like it's a it's a textual case where it's like yeah, that's, did, that's yeah. inherent to the material, the writer versus Altman as a director, you know, glomming onto something you know stylistically yeah. that's interesting to explore uh, and that just kind of meanders. Again, it's not a case where you could be like, oh, it, it's it'd play better on the stage. I don't think it plays well as a story. I don't think the story is there for any uh, form of media. Again, it's yeah, it just doesn't come through, and it's. Some of it's just like not not so fun to sit through. No. Like it, I, I said in my review on Letterboxd, this, this film just has all of the slurs. If you can think of a slur, it's in this movie. Yeah, I, they they throw out everything, and it's it's not like you know it, it, it's only uncomfortable in the sense that I have to deal with this onslaught of slurs. Like they're, they're not used in a you know uh, I don't, don't want to say in a hateful manner, but that, that's the context of it here right. that we're 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 appreciating this usage in the context of these characters spouting hateful things, you know, and, and how that's being characterized and, and the reasoning behind it. You know, it's it's not, you know, it's, it's not the same as just like a random slur appearing. You know, it's very fitting for the, the setting, but it's like, that's a lot. It's a lot of them. It's, it's all of them. Everyone you can think of, it's there. Yeah, it's uh, just an array of, of slurs that they, I don't know how comfortable I am with all that. Um, there's questions here more than there are in the in the rest of the selections we have it's it's also just i think it's overly melodramatic yeah um yeah it's again it it, it tries to heighten the emotions of everything by really playing up the performances and making them really loud and and brash and it it gets kind of grating and and again the, the events of things escalate to a kind of you know ridiculously you know overwrought place mm. You know, of course. Oh, oh, yeah. So the angers of of men and you know the repression of sexuality manifests as violence. Oh, I've seen that before. You know. Yeah, I'm not happy with that uh, outcome, but uh, but uh, it's. But yeah, it's all it's all material issues. It's all inherent to the the script. The script is like the big thing. It's just not inherently flawed. It's inherently uh, not seeking out interesting ideas. It's it's inherently fixated on the wrong spots. It's inherently confined to this uninteresting space the space itself the barracks are very you know it's very barren it's very unappealing the 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 cast of people they kind of cycle out you know there's no particularly compelling characters to 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 latch on to you've got you know hateful character and you've got gay character and you've got black and gay character you know it it ties in racial themes here as well It, it tries to parallel those and it's just doesn't necessarily stick it's got ideas, but it's it's got nothing to do with them. No, and there's uh, um, it's a lot of work, isn't it? But there's no reward for the work you put in. Uh, there's uh, only two moments that even stood out to me, which is just them singing the song about the parachuter and the the parachuter story that they have. Uh, then the 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 burst of violence. That's where the title comes from. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the title comes from this idea of streamers about parachuters <coughs> whose uh, excuse uh, me shoots don't don't catch you know so they're just like they look like streamers falling out of the air right and the i mean the uh um poster art's actually pretty good with the men like hanging on to the american that's, flag wound around with their hands that's that's the thing of this slate of films of the ones i hadn't seen this was the one that had appealed to me most. me like, too I've, yeah. I've come across it and i've almost 
watched it a few times even before we did this venture like a, like a, oh it's an Altman film that looks appealing to me like that that poster art which is like the American flag and two guys grabbing on to red, to the red banners there you know uh, a white arm and a black arm in there there's something provocative and visually interesting about that yeah. and it's it's the best thing about the movie the poster sells you something that's not you know there unfortunately <laughs> and i mean i'm a i'm a big fan of david allen gruber i think it's probably it's not a significant work either um it's yeah it's fine it's i guess it's significant as a starting point but you know yeah yeah uh gotta get your foot in the, the door there's there's only one i wish i could give more but there's no you know information there's only one anecdote for this in the in the open book <laughs> yeah that's so slim just I one one line it's it's literally it's literally like other films have at least three or four people weighing in, yeah. giving opinions on the production or how it was received or anything going on. There's just one person. It's just in the in the streamers chapter. It's a single anecdote from Matthew Modine about being uncertain about how he wants to give a certain monologue and the motivation for the character. And so he he tries to ask Altman about it, and Altman keeps like brushing him off. He says like, "We'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Don't worry, we're gonna get there." And closer and closer, it gets to the day they're gonna shoot the scene. To a point, point eventually where they get to to the scene, they're about to shoot it, and and, and uh, Altman, you know, just kind of like brushes him off, tells him to play the scene anyway, and he's terrified. Matthew Modine's terrified. He has no idea, you know, how it goes about it. And he's afraid, but they do the take. They do it in a couple takes, and and then Altman reports afterwards, basically, just like, see, this is why I wanted you for the part. I cast you because I knew, you know, what you were going to bring to the table here, and you as an actor, you don't need me to tell you how to do the role. That's not my job. You know, and so that's what he wanted him, and and that's the whole chapter. Yeah. That's the entire chapter okay. on streamers. No no information about the production. No information about why Altman chose this play to do or anything like that. It's just that one anecdote from Matthew Modine. That's the whole insight in the book. It's probably the least I ever am interested in Altman's direction and, and vision, other than like the countdown uh, of that we've gone over earlier. Yeah, I. It's a little bit there again. I I never feel like Altman's direction is bad in terms of it's staging and and the cinematography there aren't mistakes it's, it's, he's not going to make a mistake but no and 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 he does still have that peculiar eye that interests you know zooms and close-ups and stuff the the, the signature albinisms they're still there not as flamboyantly not as pronounced but they're still there uh it's just not compelling or complimentary to the material no. necessarily it doesn't bring anything further out and and it just feels like this is a case where the material is is the dire undoing of the film. It's not that it's bad material inherently. It's just that it's not made compelling solely through the text, and Altman doesn't do anything to elevate it. Yeah, it's uh, uh, fine at best, uh, but uh, I I couldn't find any reason to recommend it besides the poster. So go look at that poster. It's pretty cool. Please do. All right. Well. So we'll wrap things up by ranking these then? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it will... Uh, most of them should be fairly... I don't, I don't think we have any disagreements, do we? About the quality of these five. I think we're all on board. Again, like, maybe just slight nuances. You like Popeye more. I like Jimmy Dean more. Yeah. You know, but, like, not that much. You know, it's... it's you know, we're, we're on the same page about just about all these films. Okay. I think that'll make it easier. Uh, so... Uh, Popeye, would you like to put um, above? Uh... Oh, hold on. Wait, wait, let's go over. Uh, oh yeah, I want to go. What the current ranking is. Okay. Uh, 
Um, the Robert Altman ranking, as of now, uh, McCabe, Nashville, Three Women, The Long Goodbye, Images, California Split, Cold Day in the Park, Rooster McLeod, Buffalo Bill, or uh, uh, Sitting Bull's uh, uh, History Lesson. History Lesson. Um, yep, yep. Then uh, a, we- a Wedding, A Wedding, MASH, Thieves Like Us, Quintet, uh, Delinquents, and Countdown. Um, okay, so... I guess we'll start chronologically with a, a perfect couple. Yeah, we could do that. Okay. Uh, I put it below Quintet. <laughs> you think below Quintet? You think it's less interesting than Quintet? Yeah, because, it, well, Quintet, again, has the setting and uh, at least an idea. And like you say, there, there are reasons to want to go watch it. And we held off on this Our- one for obvious reasons because there's so little hook there. And then when we got there, we weren't enthused. Like, we spent half the runtime wondering how long was left in the movie, which I didn't sure, feel about Quintet. I, I s- I spent the whole one time wondering how long Quintet oh, was. Did. That one was uh, so again. There's again. There's there's so so little to like Quintet's appeal. Again, it's like I like the sets, I like the idea of the setting, and like I like that Paul Newman exists. I don't even like his performance. I just like that he exists. I don't mind his. Perfor- I, I mean, his performance isn't bad. It's like he doesn't make mistakes. Like Altman doesn't make mistakes. But it's, yeah, yeah, it's not. But it's not like it doesn't grab me either. There's nothing about no. it. He's not like. There's not a character there. There's not enough the. The idea of the game of Quintet isn't appealing. You can't even see half the fucking film because yeah. they got the fog around the whole damn thing. It doesn't grab you by the... Uh, anyway, Perfect Couple will go um, uh, under... No, my, my question more so is, do you like Thieves Like Us more than it? I I like this more than Thieves Like Us still. I barely remember... Wait, you do? I thought you liked Thieves Like yeah. Us more. Or maybe I like... No, no, I like Thieves you, Like Us more than you did. Okay. You liked it. But I, I think I brought you down after talking about it on the podcast some. I don't I don't quite recall exactly, but yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but Shelley Duvall uh, isn't that. That's true. I, if if you want to if you want to sell me on like thieves like us being better than this, I I can see that. I, I know you were definitely more miserable than I was watching this. I didn't. Uh, again, I'm not like I liked I like Paul Dooley. I like the music. I, you know. I liked uh, the music even, but uh, there were like five songs too many for what the movie was doing for me. Uh, sure. I, I could have used half the movie, in fact. Uh, six songs, half the movie. Um, more Paul Dooley. It could have been good. Yeah. Alright, should we put it below Thieves Like Us, then? Yeah, and below Quintet. Below Quintet? I don't think, okay. so. I don't think so. We'll just put it above Quintet, below Thieves above? Like Us. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, then uh, Health um, should go... Uh, by by mash of course just because of the naming conventions uh, by mash um around oh. mash do, do you think mash is better no i think i think health is more fun than you think health you think health is i, I don't know I, I think there's more going on in mash for sure i think it gets its critiques across m- more precisely uh you, you get that with that juxtaposition of the the comedy and and like the the dark humor with the uh you know the, the morbidity of the setting. Yeah, California. You know, there's, there, there, very morbid. There's some questionable parts, uh, of course, to it, but to both it, of them, it also yeah. burst you know the TV show. I think it's better than Thieves Like Us because again it has like an idea, but it again health just gets really lost in things and it doesn't communicate its point very well. But it's got a, l- a little bit more to it than Thieves Like Us to me. I'd, I'm fine with putting it between Mesh and Thieves Like Us. That just makes sense. Okay. Um, health Perfect. is going in there. Okay, typed in. And uh, Popeye. Uh, Popeye. Toot toot, as uh, the song goes. 
Popeye uh, is definitely way higher here. Um, uh, it's a surprise contender, <laughs> underrated even by by the. Masses. Yeah, I'm worrying how you want to rate it because of what you said. The uh, uh, rating it way above your ranking seems uh, suspect at best, but also uh, I'm just wondering well, uh, what that I'll, means. I'm here's the thing is that you can you can push me to be a little bit more favorable to it than than you might expect okay. because there's so much about it that I like and charm. So where would where would you put it if you had your say? Uh, I'd put it between California Split and Cold Day in the Park. I think to start. Perfect, perfect. That's it. That's exactly. Oh really? Where okay. I would put it. Yeah. Okay, I thought. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it better than Cold Day in the Park. I like it better than than Bruce McLeod. It's it's. Good. I, again, if, I, if anything, I thought you, you might be able to sell me on it higher than California Split. But I wouldn't do that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think that's ultimately a, a better movie, even though it's also just kind of meandering and, you know... Well, I thought Popeye would be contentious. I didn't think we had exactly the same spot lined up for it. So. No, no, totally. Okay. Even on my own ranking, like on my personal ranking here, it's between California Split and... Bruce okay, good. Uh, then I think that makes sense for California Split, Popeye, Cold Day in the Park. Is a yeah, right. that's a good order. Anyway, that's good for the list. Uh, that's uh, maybe this will be our contentious one then. Uh, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean Sausage should go below. Um, let's see, uh, below Brewster McLeod there. You put it below Brewster. Yeah. You you put Popeye above. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy Dean. I would, yeah. Really? Yeah, several. So, so here's here's the thing. This is, I I prepared last week, last time, by conceding the long goodbye very quickly, right? Because I knew I would want to secure a favorable spot for come back to the fight and die. I thought you were holding because of Popeye. I thought that was your move. Um, no, okay, it no, was actually no, I, this. Okay. Yeah, Jimmy G, Jimmy Dean is the the unexpected like near masterpiece that I uh, you know did not expect from Altman's 80 period below Buffalo period. Bill I, could be good I I would I would love for you to give me a top five slot for it just a just a number five there if you would if you would concede that much for me I would love you so much I'll say our, our top three are very locked I can't concede top three um but I love you too so I think I'll put you in a <laughs> Uh, I think would just between the long hurts, goodbye so. <laughs> and images. And it... Okay, I could, I could do that. Um, I could do uh, the long goodbye because I like this movie, and I think I like it more than you think I like it. I, I started way lower than I wanted to place it because I didn't want you to get the you, idea that I'd put it in the top four. Right. Um, you you haven't you haven't put a review for it yet on Letterbox. I don't even know what you would rate it, but. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm hoping to be very pleasantly surprised af after this, and you and you eventually log it if you remember to. I guess would be. Uh, I do you want to know what the rating would be? Sure, sure, sure. I'm, I'm, I I can take it. Uh, low eight would be the the rating. Low eight. Yeah. That's 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 what I would hope for. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's I think it's a film that could even potentially be a seven. Oh, oh yeah, a nine. Yeah. I mean, a seven is still a good rating. Yeah, but I, I, I have it at a, at a nine oh, yeah. myself, uh, and I was, I was so, so taken with it. But I think that stage aspect is, is something that is particularly appealing to me, and and I think it does so well. But yeah, so 
if 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 you would concede it to the top five for me, okay, uh, that would so be very happy. It's not better than Long Goodbye. I'm afraid to say. Uh, I, you might I, think so. I agree with that. Okay. It's it's the Long Goodbye. Before this last rewatch, I had Jimmy Dean higher than it, but I, I bumped up the last the Long Goodbye in my my last watch. So I do think it is better. Uh, maybe but I, I don't know. There's also a particular a special element of, of Jimmy Dean that I, I could contest it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say the Long Goodbye. Is, is better and it all, and also more universally accepted to be so i don't have any problem making that concession so and i think it's pretty cool in, that we got this up to the top five at least for now exactly that's and i think that's the thing is that it's a uh, those those top four very expensive are you sure that's, are you that's, sure you want it below the long goodbye you sound like you could convince me possibly that um i, I, I feel like i would have a hard time selling you on it again okay. since you're you're so hesitant you were already putting it below you know i'm i'm trying to consider here your perspective on it as well i was uh, joking about putting it below brewster but um <laughs> I, I i figured but i also don't know if you would have put it above california split image no i, I would have put, put it right below california split i would have put it around right images below? yeah either above or below right images, images yeah so okay see that and i feel like that's a that's a fair point for me to argue like i said i i kind of decided this last time already like i was i was already prepared for this to be the the spot to have the fight for okay it. again I, I conceded i conceded three women i was aware of like the the consensus kind of leans this way anyway the fact that i'm going to get jimmy dean so high to begin with i think hopefully is going to bring more attention to it and and some recognition that it, i think it deserves the worst part of this movie but, is the long ass name like at the front of our list <laughs> like it goes yeah the good. long goodbye come back to the five and dying jimmy Jean, jimmy dean images it's... Yeah, <laughs> at least it's not like two like single word ones like images in Nashville or something. I mean, yeah, you I, have a, you have it's... an eleven word title next to a one word title <laughs> is what I'm saying, and a three word title. That's and yeah, <sighs> uh, ugly ugly way to make the list, but acceptable because of the quality of the film. And that uh, I am uh, closer to your rating than I thought, which I had to withhold so you didn't think that so you didn't get any I, ideas. You, you just you wanted to torture me this whole week. <laughs> I, I could tell. I was I was checking every day. I was like, is he going to post it? Is he just going to hold it It's out? very funny for me to hold reviews just so you don't see them. <laughs> like, that seems like an extra effort that nobody needs to really go through. Uh, but uh, that's what's happened here. So, um, Just out of our uh, friendship, I have to do things to uh, uh, make sure that you don't get information that you possibly need to argue uh, uh, your cases. Uh, I hope you're happy, and I hope listeners are too. I hope it led to good content, because I, I was... I was nervous coming. Well, in. I hope you're happy because it is a very deserving movie, and I, I, I did end up loving it too. I, I love Cher uh, to death. So, an eight was my hope. I was hoping for an eight. I'm glad to have gotten that. Okay. Um, streamers, no such luck. I I didn't. No. Uh, I gave half of no, an eight. Total, uh, I give a four. Yeah. Total, total opposite. I think you might. I don't know. I I gave it slightly okay. more than that, but not much. Uh, so, my I guess like. Let, let, let's just compare it to start with like a perfect couple. Okay. Like, did you think it was worse than that? No, I think it's better than that. Okay, I do too. Okay. So that's that's already. I also think it's better than Thieves Like Us, though. But I, I don't know if you agree with that. I don't think you do. Mm, but but is it better than Health? Better. I don't think it's better than Health. Better is a strange word between these movies, but. I I, I think Health gets a little bit more out of its idea and then it's like held back 
by its kind of gross transphobic stuff. Yeah. Which again is again, kind of ironic. This is the the LGBT era of Altman apparently, uh, in both the good and bad ways <laughs> of representation. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a knock against it. That that really holds it back alongside all the unfocused nonsense. But it, it at least has something there immediately, whereas the you know uh, streamers just has like ideas and then it just tries to make a big old you know mess of it, and make it you know loud and. <laughs> You know, important. If, I, don't think it ever I mean, if I saw Jimmy G and Jimmy Dean, and I was like, man, that's an excellent film. I can't wait for his next stage adaptation. And then he made Streamers. I'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy, though, because, like, uh, Ebert loved it. Ebert thought Streamers was really great. Weird, and, yeah. Uh, so did, yeah, so did Siskel. And I, I think they were not hot on Jimmy Dean, if I remember right, but uh, don't quote me. That's fine. Um, I think uh, <laughs> Ebert uh, said that... Uh, um, Altman. Oh uh, yeah, but by no means is Ebert a good. Well, no, I mean Altman everything. famously said that uh, I, uh, you have the right to say your views, uh, whatever reviews you want of my movies, but all your negative ones are wrong. So uh, he said <laughs> that to Ebert at some point, uh, uh, which is that's good. great. That's great. That's that's exactly what I want from him. Uh, okay, I'm fine with anyway. that. We'll do uh, health streamers, thieves like us. Thieves like us keeps slipping, but it slips in my mind as we go too. I I don't see anything but Shelley Duvall's eyes anymore. That's fair. It, there was something about it uh, about Shelley Duvall in it yeah. that you said you you liked. There was something I said too, but maybe that was illicit. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. Have said okay. That. <laughs> uh, well, I think we're done with this ranking. Should I read it off uh, uh, more quickly this yeah. time than, than the last two weeks? Uh, Two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, McCabe and Miss Miller, Nashville, Three Women, The Long Goodbye, Come Back to the Five and Dine, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, Images, California Split, Popeye, Cold Day in the Park, Brewster McLeod, Buffalo Bill, or uh, Sitting Bulls, Indian List, Indian List, no, Buffalo Bill, <laughs> or Sitting Bulls, History List, not Indian. It's, it's actually, it's actually Buffalo Bill and the Indians, or Sitting Bulls. That's where I'm getting it mixed. Is that the long okay. title? Buffalo Bill. You should write it there. I know, because, Okay. You, you, you've shortened it in your write-up here, and that's just tripping you up. You wrote out all of Quebec's the five Bill and, and the Indians, or or I, sitting bulls sitting bulls history lesson. Okay, uh, so where were we? Brewster McLeod, Buffalo Bill, and the Indians, or sitting bulls history lesson. A wedding, mash, uh, health. With a, a big H at the end. Uh, uh, yep. Doesn't affect my pronunciation, but you have to note these things. Uh, streamers, thieves like us, a perfect couple, quintet, delinquents, and countdown. Is it is it just delinquents or is it the delinquents? No, oh, no. <laughs> Whatever. That's good yeah, enough for uh, now. We'll fix the uh, naming on this list by next week. Uh, next time. Uh, two, two weeks. weeks yes. But. Yes. Uh, should I announce the next five uh, as well? Yeah, uh, do we need to look over them? Do they make sense for in two weeks? What do we have here? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we've got Secret Honor uh, from 1984, Fool for Love, OC and Stiggs, uh, Beyond Therapy, and Vincent and Theo. Looking forward to so that's the, one of those movies. That's the remaining of the 80s leading into the 90s. Which one? Which one is it you're looking forward to? Secret Honor. That's the, that's the one I've seen I as think well. It, yeah. We just lost Philip Baker Hall, so... And this is just him. He's the only person in the movie, which is pretty cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know. I think I've seen it or seen part of it, but um, I'm looking forward to having it's, a bigger opinion on it. 
it's it's very interesting. It's just like it, Oatman finally got to make his Nixon movie. He, he's, his obsession with Nixon finally reached <laughs> this point where he couldn't contain it, and they and they shot it as he shot it with a bunch of students. Like that he was so I've never finished so. it, uh, so that'll be that'll be great for me. Uh, that's one of the big holes in Altman. But uh, uh, looking forward, like my big. Let's. I imagine it was a huge. It's it's a huge, uh, inspiration for Paul Thomas Anderson as well. Like you know, interesting with the connection with Philip Baker Hall and him being a big actor in in Anderson's first film, Hard Eight. Yeah, this. I imagine he probably bugged him to no end about <laughs> Altman. Yeah, this and Gosford Park are my two big holes let's talk about our big holes um big holes on a podcast big holes holes. uh uh, speaking of big holes uh it'll be two weeks and then we'll be back uh, after that uh hole in the schedule in the meantime though we got lots and lots of other podcasts that you can listen to yeah uh check out ranking the monsters for uh uh, some large uh critter fight fights that we uh rank based on their um girth yeah their their kaiju girth and uh, Daydreamcast has a, a new exciting episode out this week on uh, um, Alice, uh, American McGee's Alice. American McGee's yeah, Alice. which is a very interesting game. Um, I don't know if it's about the remake or the original. I think it's the original, right? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, Madness I'm Returns. A bit Madness Returns is a newer one. That would be... Yeah, okay. So American McGee's Alice. Uh, this is why Murph is better at the pitch game, because of uh, uh, the plug game. Because I don't remember what our, our shows are to begin with. Uh, stacks? <laughs> well, let's see. There's also Stacks. Lots of Stacks. Stacks on Stacks. They just had their big mailbag special release today. Yeah. Stacks on Stacks. Uh, so, yeah. Tune in for that. Uh, I'm thinking of Spoiling Things. Just also had a big roundup episode with uh, you. You were on that Yeah, I did Bodies, 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 which is a new film I had a lot of fun with, speaking of, like, gamified uh, death films. Um, And uh, then uh, Jack was on for The Lad Goodbye, and Murph came on for Prey. Nice. Yeah, so there's big, beefy episodes of that going on. Uh, Is... Don't let the motor cast get you coming back anytime soon. Very soon, now that Steven's back from his trip, we're planning our next record, and we also have um, the Fright Files with Ben and I that's coming back in, a, a let's say, early September. Uh, we're, we're planning. Early September. Yeah, we have a, a short story. Very, very research-heavy show, but so rewarding to, to get out of it, even just from that first episode that you guys really so oh, far. Thanks, man. We have a, a short story, a whole book, and uh, two movies, one or two movies that we're doing, so... Wow, that's so much. Yeah, no wonder it's a while to produce, but again, <laughs> worth like, it. You get quality out of yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. and Ben, it's just fascinating to talk to you about all kinds of Japanese cinema, but cinema in general. Uh, uh, you could check yeah, out. Yeah, so. Uh, the Asian Cinema Podcast. Yeah, Adventures Ben-Yu. Through Asian Cinema is our other show. Mm hmm. Uh, so, yeah, keep, keep me off ear out for I that. I hope they continue uh, soon. A. It's still called 808s in Podbrick. Yeah, right? yeah, still 808s. You want to change the name again? Uh, I, I do want to change the name again, but I'm going to keep it. Um, <laughs> okay. And Kevin and I talked about uh, the game, which we strongly disagree about, uh, because I have better opinions on rap music, even though he's the reviewer um, of music. How do, you, how do you feel about David Fincher's The Game? Um, about the same as uh, the game, the rap artist, just mediocre, middling. Um, oh, the rhyme good. schemes are okay. very good. David Fincher has a, a deaf ear for... Rhymes. So, uh, 
What else? Uh, Beyonce is on there. Uh, we talked about Beyonce and Scam Rap from Detroit. So learn about how uh, Scam Rap in Detroit is the same as like the way other cultures like the South do lean. And uh, and uh, um, here we do meth, methamphetamines, and, and stimulants are big. Uh, heroin is big out here. Um, it sure is, famously so. Yeah, so or infamously. Learn about Scam Rap. Uh, somehow that has to do with uh, those things. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for for tuning in live uh, to to our Pacific Northwest show here, our podcast in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> which we talked about most of the time. Stay yes. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for more Pacific Northwesty themed shows and open stuff uh, for the future. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Okay. Oh, Got to stop. Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening. Listening to my podcast.